Everybody awake? All right. Uh, next week, I think there's uh, something going on. It's, it's Easter. And so it's the most attended day, typically, of the churches in the United States. The big question becomes, who is God nudging you to invite? And so be praying about that today, be thinking about that all this week, and maybe multiple people use your social media page, take somebody out to lunch, send somebody an email, have a conversation, but be thinking about that. And today I'm going to talk about in the, in the message, we're going to call it storyline, we're going to talk about why it's so important. So next week is Easter. This Saturday we've got an Easter egg hunt. Lots of cool, fun things going on. Sound good? All right. You guys lively this morning? You seem a little flat. Everybody have their coffee? Okay. Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, My name is Dave Sherwood. I am the lead pastor here at Cornerstone. And we are in a standalone message this week called Storyline. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you kind of to start to think today about the big questions of life. Let me start out with basically this. What story are we in? You know, every now and then things go really wrong, and you're like, the universe is against me, and I am trapped in a tragedy. Other times, you just, you can't, nothing goes, nothing, nothing can go wrong, like, Everything, doors open and everything goes fantastic. And it feels like you're kind of in a, in a comedy. You're in this great thing that everything is working out. As you go through life, probably the times when things are working out are not the times that you ask, what story am I in? What's the big picture? It's when things go wrong. And when things go wrong, we find ourselves at 2 a.m. in front of the bathroom mirror looking at the tears streaming down our face, or in a hospital chapel on our knees, or at a graveyard, or driving home from work, or driving to work, pounding the steering wheel, going, what is this? We reach out to philosophy sometimes, we reach out to religion sometimes, spirituality sometimes, we reach out to all sorts of different things, because we're trying to get a handle on what story Am I in? When I was a teenager, I was about 15, turning 16. And I was convinced that this whole thing was just a train wreck. That, that, that life was a disaster. That, you know, if I, you make a bunch of money or you become popular or you get a cool job or, you know, who cares? The whole thing's just a waste of time. And in that context, I had some pretty dark things that I was considering doing. What I want to do is I want to go back to the beginning, literally, the beginning of everything. So I want to talk to you about reality. What do I mean by reality? And what's the origin of everything? I mean, that's the big question that kicks around no matter what story you're going to ask yourself that you're in, where did this all come from? Now, if you look at, obviously, different religions, they're going to tell you different places where it all came from. If you look at atheism, um, 
presently, nothingness one day decided to become somethingness and be highly organized with gravitational fields and created time and complexity and cell engines and DNA gene coding and the fine-tuning of the earth and a really consistent biosphere and Do you believe that? Do you, do you believe that nothingness, like the, you know, the rabbit out of the hat, except it's not a trick, really a rabbit came out of a hat, like just, that's, that's one option. Another option, though, is that somebody beyond reality, beyond the confines of everything that we understand, created everything. Within Christianity, that's our big idea of how the context of our story started. It says this in Genesis 1, 1 through 4. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Is that up there? There we go. Uh, it was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and it goes on and on and on. And you've got this picture of this God who's an architect and a designer who's putting together this incredible experience of reality. It also says in the New Testament that Jesus was a part of all that. It says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it also says that Jesus is part of this whole design thing, that in Him all things were made, and more than just kind of made and left to go wander off, but all things were made and all things are held together in Him. And so our story at this point in time has this incredible kind of creation, and there's this beauty to it and this symmetry to it and this design to it, this intention and this purpose to it. And then we find out that behind this incredible thing that we get to live in is this God who's expressing who he is and how he made it. He makes light and he makes trees and he makes sounds and he makes beauty and he designs all sorts of other things inside of us. He creates hope, and he creates peace, and meaning, and identity, and purpose. Of course, if you're outside of the story of Christianity, there is no identity. There is no meaning. There is no purpose. It's just what it is. Came from nowhere, and it's going nowhere. But obviously, you don't have to live long in life to go, okay, great. So there's this really cool creation, and maybe there's a God who made everything. Then why is everything so mucked up? Well, that leads us to the next part of the story, which is rebellion. What's rebellion? Well, the fancy-schmancy church term is sin. What does that mean? Well, sin means to miss the mark. It's like an archery. You pull back and you shoot, except you, you miss the apple on the head. You shoot somebody in the head and they're dead. That's sin. And so basically, the idea of missing the mark is the idea that when we look out at the chaos, we want to blame someone. 
When I was a teenager, kind of in the basement of my house, and I was considering suicide, I remember exactly where I was in the basement floor. The house was empty, and I'm pounding the ground on the basement floor as a non-believer, praying and saying, I hate you. I hate you. I hate you. You're an absentee landlord. This place is a madhouse of insanity and self-destruction, and you're the one that caused all this. And I didn't even believe like in God or anything, but you know, everybody prays. It's not even like a thing that you have to talk people into. Everybody's reaching out. Where is the author of my story? Where, where is the person that is holding all of this together? And it wasn't until actually I started entering into my Bible and kind of going, okay, if there is a God and he is going to give us an explanation for the way things are and the way things could be, what does he have to say all, about all this? And I was shocked to find out It's not that he's an absentee landlord running a tenement building. It's that we're completely off the chain. That all the pain and the misery and the hatred and the racism and the social injustice and you name it when you're looking at your Facebook news feed or anything else, most of that isn't on him. It's on us. It's on me. It says this in Genesis 3, 4 through 6. Temptation of Adam and Eve. Most people know this story even if they're not super familiar with the Bible. The serpent said to the woman, the serpent is a representation of Satan. And he says, you go, ahead and eat the, go ahead and eat the apple. He says, you surely will not die if you eat this apple. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And the woman bought this argument and saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. And she took from its fruit and ate and gave it to Adam. And both of them at that juncture changed the story forever. Because up until this point in time, there's perfect trust between God and man. And even as nature is kind of running the way it's supposed to in harmony with one another, at this point in time, man and woman break from trusting God and his rhythms for life, his design for life, his meaning for life. And they go on the great exploration that all of us have been on to some degree or another. I can live without you. I can do my marriage without you. And I can do my sexuality without you. And I can do my thinking without you. And I can, I can, I can, you know, run my heart without you. And I can have meaning to my life. I can, I can do all these things without you. Until at least the story of a lot of us in this room would be at some point in time you go, actually, this isn't. This isn't working at all. I don't know how to be married. I don't know how to be an adult. I'm faking it. I don't know how to be a husband. Not to mention a father. Not to mention a grandfather. I don't know how to be a pastor. I don't know how to be a friend. I screw up all sorts of things. I screw up things in my mind. I screw up things in my heart. I screw up things I say. I'm a train wreck. That's hitting other people. 
And I start to realize that I'm the captain of the Titanic of my own life. And then the big question becomes in this story, what's going to happen next? Is God going to look down and say about all of us, well, you know what? You guys were, you guys were a case study and it, and it failed. And I'm giving up on you and I'm just going to destroy reality and either live by myself in a condo in Miami or I'm going to do something about all of this because you guys can't do something about all this. Even when you try to be good, you only get little margins of it right. So the next thing that happens in the story in the Bible is this idea of rescue. And it happens over and over again. And it's not about us rescuing ourselves, and it's not even really much about us rescuing one another. It's about God looking down going, I made this beautiful thing and I made these people in my image and I made this creation that was so dynamic and so beautiful and so artistic and so fantastic. And I refuse to let it go. I love these people. They're made in my image. Their potential is so huge. I'm going to rescue them. And he does it over and over and over again. He uses Abraham to go rescue people. He uses Esther to rescue the whole nation. He uses Moses to rescue the whole nation. And this thing is going on over and over again. In Colossians 1.13, it talks about Jesus' rescue of us. It says this, and this is after his death, burial, and resurrection. It says, For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness, and he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Well, what does that mean? It means basically this, that Jesus comes down, God the Son, and he, he is a great moral teacher. He teaches all kinds of cool things. But the idea is not that you're going to go be moral and kind of get back into connection with God. No, no, no. What he basically says over and over again is you need to have faith. Not in yourselves, not in your goodness, not in your New Year's resolutions. You need to have faith in me because I'm going to rescue you. Because our biggest enemy isn't out there someplace. It's not Egypt or Babylon or whichever president we have right now or anything else. Our biggest enemy is ourselves. And Jesus basically says, if you want to be rescued, if you want to, in this story that went from beauty to brokenness, we're now at the point of rescue. If you want to be a part of the rescue process, trust in who I am. I've taken on all of your sins. All, everything that you've ever done wrong is heaped on me on the cross. I will take it gladly. Everything you've done, I will take it on myself because you are so valuable to me. And then he's resurrected and things get really Interesting, because it says right here in this verse that if you have faith in him, he's 
taken you out of the domain of darkness, that little lie that Satan set in motion in Genesis and all the lies that we've believed in since then. He's taken you where you're in captivity of that and he's ripped you out of it and he's placed you into something else. Now, it doesn't feel like it. I mean, I said the mumbo-jumbo words one day and you're like, am I, can I get hit by lightning? Do I feel super strong? Do I get to say Shazam and turn into a superhero? It's not the way it works. It's by faith that we've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Well, what happens next in the story? Well, I picked a word because I, I come from a Baptist background, so you notice there's a whole bunch of R's. So there's, you know, reality and there's rebellion. The next is uh, rededication. And what does that that mean? It means basically that at the point in time that you enter into the kingdom of the beloved son, a reconstruction work starts. The only difference between Christians and anybody else anywhere in the world, the only difference is that we have scaffolding on us. God's rebuilding us now into what he intended, what he wanted. It doesn't all happen instantaneously, but he's trying to get back into the center of our hearts, back into the center of our minds, back into the center of what we trust and what we believe and how we talk and how we feel and how we experience life and talk to our neighbors and do marriage and everything else. And it doesn't all happen at once because it's not magic. He doesn't go, bling, you're good. He goes, I've got, a, I've got a hand. I'm reaching out to you. I want to show you how to be good. I want to show you how to be a father, how to be a husband, how to be a wife. I want to show you how to do forgiveness and love and turn the other cheek. I want to show you how to bring things back to life that are dead. That's what I want to do because that's what I do. And so this scaffolding is put on us and we're given the Holy Spirit and we're given all these promises that you're sealed until the day of redemption and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and I will never leave or forsake you. And I'm convinced that neither this, that, or the other thing can separate us from the love of God. And so there's all these promises of commitment and strength to rebuild us. It says this in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. In reference to your former manner of life, you Lay aside, and it's this active kind of verb of doing it all the time. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So we enter into this process in the story of this restoration, this rededication. And as it happens, what what we notice is I'm either flowing in the story that God has for me or I'm still fighting against it. And when we're miserable and when things blow up and when we scream and yell and there's all kinds of times, we know that we're kind of outside of the stream. We're sinning, we're rebelling, we're eating apples like crazy. But then there's other times where we realize Man, I feel, I feel at peace. I feel centered. I feel strong. I feel right. I feel courageous. I feel good. I feel because I'm flowing in the way God wants me to flow. 
And again, if you want to know where we're at in the story, where we're at in the story now is, so what's next? What's next for us when we end this life is resurrection. Jesus is the first of the resurrection. That someday all this pain, all this misery, all this torqued, crazy, madhouse crapola will be swept away. And I'll stand before him. And this longing that has built up my whole life, that draws me towards his love, that I'll be in his presence. I'll be given a new body, a new heart, a new mind. He'll wipe away every tear. I can wrap my arms around him. And he can wrap his arms around me. And I'm going to say, don't let go of the hug for like four or 5,000 years. I want to melt into it. I want to know that I'm really here and I'm really with you and I'm really safe and I'm really secure and I'm really... Resurrection. Let me stop here and just get you to think for just a second. If this story at this point in time is compelling to you, don't you want that for others? Don't you really, 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 really want that for others? And I haven't kicked around any ideas of hell I'm talking about heaven. I'm talking about the story. I'm talking about God's love. I'm talking about all that could and should be. It's within reach. But if you go back to those rescue stories, God does all those rescues. He does all those rescues. He does all those rescues through people. Somebody's got to be Moses, and somebody's got to be Joshua. Somebody's got to be Abraham. Somebody's got to be Esther. Somebody's got to be Paul and Peter and Dave and Tom and Ed and Mary and Joanne and reach out with the rescue of God's love. It says this in 1 John 14.3. It says, I go, Jesus is speaking, I go and I'm preparing a place for you. That condo in Miami, or that mountain cabin, or however you want to imagine it, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come again. I'm faithful. Like, I'm going on a road trip. I'm making this awesome dwelling for you. And I'm going to come back and rescue you. And more than that, I'm going to receive you to myself. That where I am, you will be also. He wants to be with us forever. Absolute intimacy, absolute grace, absolute compassion, absolute hope, absolute peace, absolute... I double-dog dare you to outdream how great heaven is. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived all that God has planned for us. Which means if you sat down with a sheet of paper starting now to the day you died and you say, I think heaven is this and I think heaven is this. And he's basically saying, are you kidding me? It's a joke. Like you guys, you guys have like seven senses here. In heaven, who knows, maybe you'll have 50,000 senses. 
Maybe there's a billion more colors. Maybe our new bodies will be able to perceive. My point is simply this. It's going to be great. It's going to make this look like a crappy old black and white television that's doing the flip screen thing in a snowstorm. And he's painting this picture because he wants us to know a lot of things. He wants us to know where the story started. And he wants you to find yourself someplace in the story in between. And he wants to know where the story can end if you want him. Because that's what it's all about. It's, it's hard to imagine the author of everything. And yet the, the people that he made don't want him. Because of a lack of trust. And finally, there's going to be a, a restoration. He's going to actually, that, that original design that we talked about, he's actually going to get back to that. It says this in Revelation 21.5. He who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That he's going to wipe the slate clean of what was in our little botched experiment of how we've lived our lives autonomously. And with us having faith in him and trust in him, he's going to rebuild everything into a newness, a freshness. My trick knee, gone. New planets, new animals, new everything. You think platypuses are funky? Maybe they'll be like giant platypuses that we ride around. (laughs) Maybe I can go skiing and not hurt myself. Maybe all sorts of things. And the point is that God is saying, look, you know, I want you to know where things came from. I want you to look real clearly at where things are at now. I want you to make some big decisions. I also want you to know Walt Disney World has nothing on where this thing is going. Now, if you believe all of that, I invite you to communion today. And I don't mean believe all of it like you're locked and loaded. I mean you've made the leap towards it. Nobody's locked and loaded. We're taking communion today. And what is communion? Communion was a way that Jesus sat down with his disciples and he said, I, I, I want you to know something about who I am and what I'm doing. But also, I, this is a, a shared experience together because we're sharing together in this story of what life means. And so Jesus, before he was crucified and resurrected, he gets together with his people, his disciples. And it says this. It says that when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it's important, the remembrance of me. You need to remember that this is the story. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, and he said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. What does covenant in blood mean? Well, covenant is an an agreement. And the agreement basically is, if you have faith, then my blood shed for you covers you from everything, and you get a complete restart in life and eternal life. Well, what if I screw up? 
Thankfully, he said, forgive seven times 70, you know, and he meant more than that because some of us have already buried the dial on that. So here in a second, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to dismiss you row by row. And basically what you're going to do is you're going to be able to go to a couple of different communion stations in these four places. As they come down and they dismiss you row by row, you make your way over to the communion stations, grab the elements, okay? basically the, the grape juice and the, and the cracker, which represent his blood and his body. And make your way back to your seats, and then when everybody's gotten those things, we'll take communion together as a way to remember the story that we're in. Does that sound good? Okay. Ushers, if you can come forward. As everybody's making their way back to their seats, I want to remind you that communion is kind of two things all at once. One is it's sobering. Jesus died for me. And you can't help but kind of look into that and go, wow. It's also celebrating. It's celebrating the fact that he loved you so much that he was willing to, that he wanted to pay the price for you. 
And so as we take communion here in just a second, take it with both feelings. A little bit of sobriety. A little bit of celebration. In the story that we share together. If all of you will take the bread. He had taken the bread and he had broken it. And then he said, this is my body. If you'll all do this now in remembrance of his broken body for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood and I'm establishing a new covenant. I've covered everything you've ever done and ever will do. Take this in remembrance of me. Remember when you leave today that we have a benevolence offering. We've got one more worship song. Thank you.